Miss the show, no problem. Coming up on point and on the podcast, the first Afghan refugees land on Canadian soil. But is this just about optics for the Trudeau government who failed to act sooner? I mean, why would they prioritize embassy staff over those in imminent danger? Biden administration supposed to be better than Donald Trump to us, no? So why is the border staying shut down to Canadians? And will their vaccine rules shut millions of us out? And will the outcome of the latest Huawei CEO's latest extradition fight determine the fate of the two Michaels? Let's get talking. Please allow me to introduce myself. I'm a man of wealth and taste. I've been around for a long, long year. Stole many a man's soul and faith. This is On Point with Alex Pearson on Global News Radio. BS is a good word. Manipulation of the media is another word. Uh, controlling the message for your own goodwill could be another way to look at it. Um, mm-hmm. I've said this time and time again. There is no more time. We had to get these people out yesterday. Canadian vets calling BS on the Trudeau government's plan to save Afghan interpreters, which have now been turned into an election prop. Alex Pearson with you on this very golden Thursday, August 4th. And last night, of course, we welcomed the first plane load of Afghan refugees who supported our Canadian troops in Canada's military mission against the Taliban. But, you know, while the headlines are blaring today, when you actually get a closer inspection of those who got off the plane at Pearson Airport, they were not those in direct threat of the Taliban. It was not the Afghan interpreters or workers who are actively being hunted and will be killed by those who consider them infidels. Instead, the Trudeau government welcomed three dozen staff and workers from the Canadian embassy in Kabul. And of course, they should be brought in. Absolutely. But these are the people that are not in imminent danger because they've got embassy security to protect them. And so we welcomed an almost empty plane of embassy staff And, of course, they were greeted gleefully by numerous liberal ministers who just happened to be on hand to make sure that they got a great smiling photo op just in time for an election. And so Global News rightly asked the prime minister today, uh, why were these people given priority? Why was the priority given uh, the Afghan staff working at the Canadian embassy in Kabul and not to the interpreters and staff who are at greater risk around the country? Uh, We continue to work uh, with uh, uh, Afghan interpreters and support staff around uh, Afghanistan to bring in, uh, bring home as many of them as possible. We were very pleased to see uh, that first plane arriving yesterday afternoon. It was very emotional for all of us uh, to see people who'd been there to support Canada and to support Canadians uh, come uh, come to the new homes, come to safety. So clearly the Prime Minister stuck to his talking point because, like, do we really expect the guy is going to admit that this operation, at least for now, is one of optics to make it look like his government's acting? I mean, all of a sudden, in the 11th hour, they are seized. That's the word they use, seized, with this issue. The reality is they just want to get this nagging issue off their plate before the election because they've done nothing for years. Despite begging from interpreters and numerous vets groups in Canada who ended up having to stand up and help these people themselves. Bottom line is, it is our moral obligation to bring these people here to safety. These people helped our Canadian troops and then in return were promised safety for doing that. 
And now the plight has been hijacked by the Trudeau government, which is simply making it look like they're taking action when they're not really doing it. Because when you ask for details of, you know, who will be coming, how many, when, the minister in charge, Marco Mendocino, won't say, hey, you know, he was only asked a bunch of time, like, why only three dozen Afghans were on a nearly 200-seat plane? Oh, too risky. Too risky of an operation, he claimed. Can't give you an answer. Too risky. It's really odd because the U.S. has no problem. When a flight of Afghan refugees comes in, they lay out the numbers of who's come in. Somehow in Canada, it's much more dangerous. Don't get me wrong. I welcome those who got off those planes on Wednesday. But they are not the workers who are in imminent danger at this very second. And given there are thousands who we need to bring here, and time is running out, wh why would we only bring three dozen when we should be filling each plane to capacity so we can get as many people out as fast as we can? Dunno, too risky to answer, says the minister. I mean, of course, Minister Mendocino had no problem talking about how emotional it was to meet these people and that we must, as Canadians, put our arms around them. So good news for the Trudeau government, I guess, because they've got positive front-page news all over the country showing that they are taking action. But this was actually a mission about good optics. Because the reality is they've done nothing for six years. Nothing. Roy Green has been talking about this issue for years. Joe Warmington has been talking about this issue for years. They did nothing. I mean, neither did the Harper government. The mission ended in 2014. But back then, the U.S. was in full control, and the Taliban was in tatters. But seven years later, the Taliban is now almost fully in control of the region. And now... They're out for blood. So it's great that Mendocino says his government is seized with this issue. But of course, they only got seized because the issue started churning out bad headlines in the last couple of weeks. And now, with the United States pulling out in less than a month, we now have a very, very, very short window to save thousands of people. And on the ground, Canadian vets including the vet that you heard off the top, the very people who decided not to wait for the government, but started their own organization so that they could help these interpreters describe the situation as chaotic. They say these people are scared, they are panicked, because they don't have embassy security. They also don't have computers to fill out the pages and pages of cumbersome paperwork that immigration has made them do. They can't get photographs because, oh yeah, there's not a shopper's drug mart on every corner. Hell, there's no roads there. They don't have internet to send it. And many people don't have the basic identification because the Taliban's either burned their homes or stolen all their belongings. So this nonsense of being seized is just that. It's nonsense. And this plan that they have announced was never a plan. It was simply put out last week. And the reason we're not getting details is because now it's, quote, too risky. There is a saying. You may have heard it. Never let a good crisis go to waste. And you can bet that the Trudeau government is not. Oh, they never do. 
Remember, they used the Syrian refugee crisis to play on Canadian emotions and scored big points for it in the 2015 election. Now they're using a crisis that they ignored right until now because they know they can polish this turd just enough before dropping the writ. But make no mistake, they have done way too little. And for many of these Afghan workers who risk their lives for our country, it'll come too late. And I say shame on them and shame on us for buying into it. These are extraordinarily challenging circumstances. We recognize that the situation in Afghanistan is deteriorating, that we are operating under tighter timelines and under more dangerous conditions. We see that uh, the coalition is withdrawing. Well, that was immigration minister Marco Mendocino. And, you know, if the Trudeau government is so seized with this issue and the imminent danger of Afghan interpreters and workers and knows the time is running out, why did it wait then to the very last minute to do something? I mean, surely it couldn't have anything to do with a pending election, you know, and making sure to get this festering issue off their backs. It couldn't possibly be because they wanted to hold a nice photo op where they can show lovely moments of how they help save these people. I mean, when you look at what happened last night at Pearson Airport, only three dozen Afghans got off a plane that was left half empty. And those brought in, while they absolutely deserve to be here, were not the interpreters and workers in the direct threat of the Taliban. They have the protection of embassy security. So was this just about getting optics right ahead of an election, or is this signaling they're acting? Let me ask. Corey Shelson is a retired captain in the Canadian Armed Forces, president of 44 North Digital Marketing, and a member of a Canadian grassroots uh, effort, not left behind. Of course, Canadian vets who didn't bother to wait for the government to act, and they just did it themselves. Hi, Corey. Good to have you. Hi, Alex. Thanks for having me again. You know, we got the images. We see these people coming off the plane. And of course, uh, there were many ministers there to make sure that they were seen doing this. Um, is this a sincere um, effort that you see or, or do, you, do you see this as, as a, a bit of a, um, a, a photo op? Well, let me first start off by saying to the men and women in the Canadian Armed Forces who helped evacuate those 40-ish individuals, you know, Kudos to them and job well done. We have right. to recognize the men and women that are putting themselves at risk. Uh, but that's about where my compliments end. Um, I'm happy to see that 40 people, 40 humans, 40 mm -hmm. humans that do not deserve to be persecuted by the Taliban have made it to Canada. But as you've mentioned, and from the many sources on my end, these were embassy staff. These were support staff and their family members. These were not folks connected with any of the advocacy groups that have been pushing for months and in some cases years for stranded Afghan interpreters and locally employed staff to get out of Afghanistan. Right. So was this a photo op in my opinion? Absolutely. Uh, and I think this is um, the government of Canada, the current governing party using this opportunity to try and uh, communicate a message to the Canadian public that all is well and that all the problems have gone away and that people are now safe and that people should vote for them uh, in this upcoming election. But there's way more here than meets the eye. Right. And, and you know, the fact that a plane was left half empty, it begs the question, you know, if you've only got a few weeks to get these people out, you would make sure that plane and the, every plane that comes over is packed because we're talking thousands of people here. And so what are you hearing on the ground? 
Well, well let's talk about that half empty. Uh, it's actually worse than that. So a C-17 Globemaster will carry 188 passengers. Um, wow. Choppers in the sky above Pearson counted around three dozen people. That's 20%. Mm -hmm. Okay, so 80% of the plane was probably empty. And I can tell you from all of the advocacy groups that I've spoken to, not one of them can put their hand up and say, hey, one of my people was on that plane. So uh, we've all watched the movie, The Titanic. Okay, <laughs> and you remember the Titanic sinking. Mm -hmm. And who were the first people that got on the life raft? Yeah. Okay, the exactly. first people who got on the life raft were the first class citizens. And how did they pack those life rafts? Historically, we know that they actually underpacked them. They were like half full. So this feels to me like uh, the Titanic is sinking. They've uh, started putting life rafts in the water. They've picked the uh, first class people, put them on the first life raft, and they've set them out to sea and save them. Here's my problem. A human is a human is a human. When we served in Afghanistan, we put the locals before ourselves. We put others before ourselves. And the Canadian government evacuating embassy staff, leaving a plane 20% full, shows to me that this government does not see one human equal to another human. This shows me that we are separating classes of people. And I think it's wrong. I, I, for a government that prides themselves on inclusiveness, multiculturalism, immigration, uh, saving people who are being uh, prosecuted based on uh, race, religion, gender. Uh, are, are, this communicates to me that they see these embassy staff. And again, well done to the Canadian forces. And I'm very happy for these families. I don't want to minimize the fact that these families have made it to Canada and they have a long road ahead of them. But it's not a, for me, it's not about the people on the plane. It's about the empty seats. Yeah, right. But what this government needs and what they are now getting are very good headlines because you only get the surface of this and the optics. So people will go, oh, wow, look, we're helping. We're doing the right thing. But that's not the reality on the ground. I mean, you know, there are a matter of a couple of weeks, if I understand this correctly, before uh, America pulls itself right out that that I think the dead the deadline is kind of up. And, and Mr. Mendocino was asked several questions, you know, like who's coming, how many people are coming. He wouldn't give any details citing, well, it's just too risky an operation. Yet the Americans are being very transparent with what they're doing. So I look at this as a little bit of BS. But what is the deadline, Corey, to get this number of people out? Well, BS is a good word. Manipulation of the media is another word uh, or another set of words. Um, uh, controlling the message for your own, uh, your own goodwill could be another way to look at it. Um, mm -hmm. I've said this time and time again, there is no more time. Uh, we had to get these people out yesterday. Uh, right. We're going on almost a month ago. It was July 8th, the three Canadian task force commanders, General Milner, General Fraser, and General Thompson penned an open letter to Minister Mendoncino calling for the immediate evacuation of these people. It's August 5th. We needed these people days ago, weeks ago. So the fact that we're sitting here on August 5th, we've had one plane land again, all the credit to the Canadian Armed Forces to the men and women who did this. I'm thankful that these people are on Canadian soil and I wish them the best in the resettlement. But there should not have been upwards of 150 empty seats on that plane. That is unequivocally unacceptable. Unacceptable and in every way. 
Yeah. And, and they do say that planes will be coming in regularly, but they're, I mean, for the numbers that we're talking, uh, which is thousands, um, they're going to have to have flights coming in every hour for the next two weeks. What is the deadline before coalition forces just are out? And, and, and basically this operation, I would assume, ends. I can't comment on that and, and in terms of when the U.S. is going to pull their final troops. But let me tell you this. The situation on the ground is extremely, extremely dangerous. Um, you know, we when I say we, I mean myself, other uh, veterans, other concerned civilians, uh, these advocacy groups. We are talking to interpreters and I don't mean some. I mean lots, lots of people who are stranded and the people on the ground that are currently in safe houses awaiting for their flights are confident that the Taliban know exactly where they are or they're getting very, very close to figuring out where they are. Uh, the Canadian government is communicating with all of these folks and giving them instructions to go to specific places to drop off paperwork, going to specific places to uh, get fingerprints or to drop off photos like we're planning a trip to Cancun. This isn't a recreational trip to go down south with our family where mm -hmm. we should be driving to the local passport office and dropping off photos. This is an emergency. We need to be getting these people onto planes. I've said this time and time again, we need to be putting them on planes, moving them to a third party location, process the paperwork there, then, then, then go from there. But the idea that we're going to have all of these folks fill out this very complex yeah. paperwork on location and then ask them to start driving around town when we just saw a car bomb go off within a kilometer or two of the Canadian embassy, uh, it boggles my mind. It, it just, the, the, there's no, um, we're the people running the show right now, uh, the folks in the immigration office have zero context for the actual threat on the ground. Could you imagine I asked you to say, hey, could you just drive over to where I am and bring me those photos of you? And by the way, um, there's a biker gang that's going to be following you or that's watching our front door because that's what it's like. These people aren't wearing uniforms. These are people that are hidden amongst the crowd. They're watching, they're looking, and the Taliban have a very, very strong intelligence program. We are putting these people at risk. We're flying planes out of Afghanistan that are only 20% full. And then the government of Canada has the audacity to try and leverage this for their own self-preservation for their own job security so that politicians can get uh, voted back in in the next election let's get the politics out of this mm -hmm. politics don't matter we have people that need to be evacuated they need to be evacuated now sadly we saw the same thing in the 2015 election with the syrian refugees it got very political and politicized but uh, that is the state we are in corey we will keep in touch with you and continue to keep the pressure up and the eyes on this operation i appreciate so much you giving us some context to the real story on the ground thank you so much alex i appreciate your support corey shelson is a retired captain in the canadian armed force also one of the many canadian vets who are a part of this group not left behind and so they they do know the real story and they do understand the real headlines here and so they are owed a lot of gratitude for what they are doing but clear message no one's buying the act that we are seeing and nor should you 
The United States has announced it's not going to open the border to international travel until, of course, they've got a vaccine plan in place, and it'll require all you know, travelers to be fully vaccinated. But what fully vaccinated is for them may not actually work for us, because don't forget, they don't use or approve the AstraZeneca vaccine. They also don't mix shots. So on August 9th, we open our borders to them, but it is a one-way gesture. And over the weekend, the Prime Minister talked to Mr. Biden for over, uh, what, 45 minutes? I'd love to know what they talked about. Clearly, Trudeau did not get uh, Biden to budge on border restrictions. Despite, you know, there were suggestions it would happen back in June. And, you know, did Trudeau push? Did he at least get clarity on vaccines and if they'll be recognized by the U.S.? Does Biden even care at this point, given the cases erupting all over his country? Or maybe it is that Biden is no more a friend to this country, to Trudeau, than Mr. Trump was. Or all of the above. Let us ask. Mark Warner is an international trade and antitrust lawyer and principal over at MAAW Law. He joins us now. Good to have you, Mark. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Is it all of the above? What is it? I mean, there are a couple of issues that we've got at play with borders, but I mean, the big one is why would the you know United States be kind of waiting and waiting and waiting? What's the holdup? Yeah, you know, when when we when Canada entered into the uh, free, original free trade agreement with the United States, and then um, we thought we had a special relationship, and then very quickly after that, the Americans entered into started to negotiations with Mexico, which actually became NAFTA, and now what we call the USMCA or CUSMA. And one of the concerns always Canadians had at the time was we would trilateralize our bilateral relationship. In other words, Americans would start to see Canada and the, and the northern border through the lens of what they were doing on the southern border. They probably always did to some extent, but we didn't really think of it that way because we would not, we never would sit down with three countries at the table. So the, the short answer is it, it, Biden has, has a very narrow control of the Senate and the House, and he's got basically a very contentious border with a very irascible Mexican president who, anytime he's unhappy, can send a lot of Guatemalans to the border. Mm. And so Biden has to think about what the, what is the implication of what he does on the northern border um, for the southern border. I mean, I know a lot of Canadians think, well, why can't he just do it treat Canada separately? And the answer is because he can't. <laughs> Um, mm. From an American point of view, we don't like to hear that. Right. It's, diff- it's very difficult for an American president. Immediately, you're going to have people in Texas and California saying, well, what about us? And that's really difficult for a Democrat president. to do. So that's, I think that's part of it. And then there's also the question, then the Europeans will start screaming. So, and also, I think on top of that, overlaid on top of that, I think, it's, you know, there was an asymmetry before Trudeau's announcement. And that was, you know, a lot of Canadians could get on an airplane and they weren't exactly going to Florida for essential travel, right? They were going for right. vacation. So we, and then we said to Americans coming up here that you had to quarantine. And then there was some question about what, whether Canadians would be treated the same way as Americans all the way up. Well, what, when, when once Prime Minister Trudeau changed the rules, for, you, know, you know, on our side for air travel and land travel, the, the gaping hole remained on the American side for land travel. But since... Since we never dealt with the American concern about the asymmetry until two weeks ago in terms of air travel, I don't think the Americans really are all that eager to deal with the now the asymmetry that results from that uh, on the land border. So in other words, we have to wait a little bit. Does that make sense? Yeah, well, I mean, it sounds, you know, that Mr. Trudeau played to his own base, um, regardless of the consequences. 
Yeah, I think so. I think I think it's clear the Americans were not happy with what we were doing up until now. And now we've sort of got in this too, where they say we're we're also caught into the what are the rules going to be for Europe? What are the rules going to be for the for Mexico? I think it will. I think we're going to see it open. It's hard for them to do now as cases are rising and Delta is rising. And from their point of view, I mean, he, I think from the point of view of Biden, what are the Canadians complaining about? They just have to get on an airplane, and most of them do. From from, but we also know there are a lot of people who live on these border towns like Windsor, you know, and there and, and other places in BC who are crossing over to work, and and these sort of uh, remaining restrictions um, hurt them. But then again, the ones who are going for work are probably said uh, are going for essential travel anyway, so they're not really hooked into mm-hmm. the, the, the the problem. If you get what I'm trying to say here, so. Mm-hmm. I think eventually it's, it's, it's part of a problem. And then, you know, the, the AstraZeneca, I mean, I, you know, I've, I feel like I've been screaming into the wind. I, I didn't think that Canada would uh, disconnect its decision-making on the drug approvals, even for emergency use, from the American decision-making. Because we don't normally do that, frankly, when Health Canada operates. They just, you know, they've got a smaller budget, fewer staff, and generally we free ride on what the Americans do. We decided in this case to go and follow the uh, the British on AstraZeneca, and then and even when there were signs that there would be problems in the United States, so now we've got ourselves in this position where we've gone ahead on AstraZeneca. The Americans aren't, I mean, haven't, and probably won't deal with that anytime soon. And then we got into this complicated stuff of mixed dosages, which the Americans are still not clear on yet either. And um, it's kind of hard for the Americans to make exceptions for either of those issues without doing it on a global basis. And then if that wasn't a big enough problem, you've got the other problem, which a lot of Canadians were getting the Indian version of AstraZeneca, um, Shield, which wasn't even um, uh, approved for use in the European Union. So you've got like several different questions that are going to bump around around AstraZeneca for a while. And all of them are asking a lot of the Americans. So I think, I think I'm trying to be, I'm trying to put this from a, but explain what the American way of thinking is on it. I think that I think that's how they're looking at it. It's complicated. It is complicated. But, but look, the bottom line is the prime minister and health Canada, they played with dosing so that they could get, you know, needles in arms. They fulfill the election campaign. Uh, but there will be consequences. And that may be that millions of Canadians are caught in this travel um, issue for months, weeks. Who knows? But that was a risk that they were willing to take. And then, of course, um, and I'll just quickly get this in because I don't have too much time. But, Mark, yeah. now tomorrow the border guards could be um, doing job action. And, you know, three years. The Trudeau government has had three years to get a deal done. It always comes down to money. But here we are on the eve of this, um, and it's going to wreak havoc on travelers or people going across the border for work or for our supply chain, whatever. But what, what, why are we in this position? Well, it's tough to negotiate with them, I guess. And then I, I think everything was probably stalled because of COVID last year. And, you know, and the everybody's working from home. And, of course, the unions work on leverage, you know, and try, they want to get to the bottom to, to, to take everything to the last day. So I'm surprised that we'd even be contemplating going to an election when so many lives are going to be disrupted by that. But but um, a number of the, of the key people who work at the border are going to be de- have been designated as essential workers. So we'll have to see to what extent, uh, you know, um, this results in shortages or, um, or delays. I think we'll see delays. The threat to not collect taxes and duties, I find that hard to believe that that will be done. Mm-hmm. Really, it will be managers or other essential workers who will be collecting duties. It'll just probably mean further lineups at the border, which will also annoy a lot of uh, Americans as well as business people. Sure. Because, you know, 
that border for the transport of autos and auto parts, is, that stuff travels maybe 40 times before it reaches its yep. final product back and forth. So um, I think this will be yeah. dealt with quickly. No kidding. All right, Mark, thanks for the intel. Appreciate the insight always. <laughs> thanks for having me. Hope that helps. <laughs> that is a, it does. Mark Warner, international trade and antitrust lawyer and a principal of MAAW Law. So there you go. We'll see what happens. So on September 4th, hard to believe, the two Michaels will have been wrongfully imprisoned in China for a thousand days. And they've been convicted of espionage, which carries a life sentence, but they have not yet been given their actual sentence. And I suspect that will depend on what happens to the Huawei exec Meng Weizhou in her final attempt to get her extradition matter tossed out. Now, her case is back before BC's court, where her lawyers are trying to you know, give this final push to have her legal process stopped. And her lawyers are arguing that the U.S. acted in bad faith in her extradition process, claiming that they mischaracterized and omitted evidence to establish a case of fraud when it requested that Canada get involved and take her into custody as a part of our obligation. Marcus Koga, senior fellow over at McDonald Laurier Institute, also the founder of Disinfo Watch and an expert in all things of Russia and China. He joins us now. Good to have you. Always great to be on, Alex. Her actual extradition hearing is in mere weeks. Um, so this is another process to try to get this thing tossed out before it goes to that final step. I mean, she's accused, as you know, of violating U.S. sanctions against Iran doing business with the Terran nation. But, you know, she's got an, an uphill battle in this case. However, I suspect that what happens to her is going to be the determining factor for the two Michaels. Am I wrong? Uh, yeah, there's there's no doubt about it. Um, the the two cases have been linked for a long time, and for China, it's important. Uh, you know, this is whatever happens to Madame Meng um, will directly impact whatever China's decision, what they decide to do with with the two Michaels um, down the road. So there's there's no doubt about that connection. Uh, and uh, you know, we'll have to see what happens. I think you know what what we're seeing right now with the uh, this uh, effort by her lawyers to throw the case out, I mean, it's, um, it's, it's, a, it's a real long shot. Um, they're, they're claiming that evidence was withheld about the nature of, of Huawei's relationship with this Iranian company. Um, you know, this isn't the job of the, the Canadian court to decide on, on that evidence. This is, you know, this is why we have this extradition process. And it's, in fact, in Ms. Mung's best interest to actually expedite this entire trial so that she can actually, if, if it's true that the U.S. doesn't have the evidence on this, then, you know, let's let's go to trial in the U.S. And, and the, the sooner she does that, the sooner she'll be released. But right now, it looks like she's just trying to draw this process out as long as she can. And one has to suspect that uh, she's concerned that if this does go to trial in the U.S., then, uh, you know, she is she is going to be found guilty. Well, because in the United States, they actually do, um, you know, treat criminal cases a lot differently, certainly than in this country. And if uh, found guilty, she would be looking at substantial, substantial jail time. And, and so, I mean, when it comes to this case, the judge is going to rule on if there's enough evidence to justify her extradition. If he does rule that she is to be extradited, ultimately, that's not the final part of this, because Justice Minister David Lametti will ultimately decide if she's handed over. So I feel like this is a bit of a kangaroo court because it's not that I doubt that the judge will will make the right ruling, but I don't have any faith that Lametti will do the right thing. No. Well, look, I I think it's in Canada's best interest to get this thing moving as quickly as possible, too. 
and to stop this process of dragging things out. I think the best chance that the two Michaels have at getting released is for uh, for Ms. Mung to get extradited. That's that's it. Mm-hmm. Get her extradited. And um, from there is some talk that the uh, the U.S. is uh, considering offering her a, uh, a deferred prosecution agreement with DPA of course. that would uh, that would allow her to you know uh, basically pay a, a hefty fine. Uh, there may be other parts to that uh, that agreement, but um, it would allow her to basically walk walk off scot free. Um, and as part of that process, it's it's you know there is you know I think a lot of experts believe that the Mike, two Michaels would. Uh, would be freed in in that case, uh, but again, the the longer this process gets drawn out, um, the longer those two Michaels remain in in prison. And so, I think it's just in everyone's interest to to get this over and done with and uh, and get her to the to the U.S. Right, but if there are if there's any tinkering with the process and the rule of law, which has happened far too much uh, of late yeah. in this country, there are going to be consequences. And so, if Canada doesn't follow through, and if in fact uh, Lametti does say, "Okay, fine, we're just not going to do it. We're just going to just make this thing all go away," then yeah. we got to answer to the United States and to our allies. And I don't know what the Prime Minister and President Biden talked about in that phone call, uh, but we certainly need the United States to lean on China to get the chi- the Michaels out, but we can't also at the same time alienate ourselves and, and um, you know, offend, if not betray our allies. No, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, we have these extradition treaties with our allies, um, because and those extradition treaties are based on trust, and they're a fundamental, they're a cornerstone piece of our international system of, of the rule of law. And so if we don't um, follow those treaties and agreements, like you're saying, mm-hmm. with whether it's the United States or anyone else, um, there's an erosion of trust. And, and that erosion of trust, I mean, we, you, maybe we may see or, you know, the, the government may believe that it's just limited to this one case, but it's, it's really not. You know, if you're not gonna, going to um, honor those, the agreements, especially in an extradition treaty, if you're not going to honor that agreement, then what's to say that you're going to honor any others? So it's, it's really, really critically important for especially a country like Canada mm-hmm. to, um, to uh, honor those agreements that it's made, and especially in this case, when you have China in the mix, um, you know, we, we should be lobbying the U.S. for help. And, you know, whether it's a DPA or something else, um, you know, this, this is where the U.S. can help. But, uh, you know, uh, not extraditing um, Ms. Mung is not going to help. Uh, is not going to help anyone in the long run. Yeah, we're we're caught in a pretty tricky spot here, um, and ultimately, these men um, are going to pay the ultimate price. Uh, you know, they're they're being used as bargaining chips. Uh, China values nothing about these people. They don't, you know, care if they're humans or have families. They'll do what they need to do as they, you know, try to continue their global influence. And so. Um, you know, their fate does not look promising as much as I, I wish that this thing would just, uh, you know, go away and they would come home. I just don't think it's going to be that simple. Some, in some way, we are going to lose here. And ultimately, they, the Michaels, are going to lose the most. Yeah, you know, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, this is what it essentially ends up being if we don't extradite Ms. Mung, if it comes to that. I mean, we're giving in to hostage taking. 
We're giving right. in to kidnapping. And it's not just the two who suffer. Yeah. It absolutely sets a terrible precedent. And with this rising, you know, transnational repression that we're seeing, whether it's Belarus or Russia or China, yeah. there's nothing that that will stop the Chinese from escalating these, this sort of behavior. And so it puts a lot of other, not just Canadians, but other uh, citizens of Western liberal democracies at risk. And Canada should be uh, considering that as well. Stay tuned in for some interesting times in the next uh, few months, that's for sure. Um, Marcus, thank you for joining me. Appreciate your insight always, and we'll talk soon. Anytime, Alex. Thanks for having me on. That is Marcus Colga joining us, of course, with the uh, McDonald Laurier Institute, also founder of Disinfo Watch. We turn to him a lot on these big issues. Thank you for listening. I'm Alex Pearson. Of course, you can join us live Monday through Friday starting 6.30 sharp. I'm Alex Pearson on Point. This is Global News Radio.